It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Bad Author Book Club, where we're not like other authors. We're worse. I'm Ryan LaSala. <clears throat> I'm Ryan LaSala. Oh, wait. Clarabelle's in Korea. I guess I'm just going to have to do this by myself. What's up, hot queens? <laughs> Did you bring the baby gherkins? Ah! This is when I felt maybe we shouldn't do the podcast. Astronomical. I hate to see it. Where's the potential? Are you drunk? Bad right author now? book club. I'm so drunk right now. <laughs> it's just not the same. Clarabelle, please come home. Today's episode of Bad Author Book Club is a special solo episode starring your lonely co-host, Ryan LaSala, because Clarabelle is off being fancy and wealthy and popular, I assume by now, because she's been in Korea for so long. But it's just me. It's just me this episode. And so, as a treat, this is going to be a Bad Author Book Club exclusive Discord interview all about my upcoming release, Beholder. So, for anyone who's not on our Discord, basically, I gave the the Bad Author Book Club, the club, the hot queens, the power this week. We don't have a normal episode because Clarabelle and I ran out of things that we recorded prior to basically, like, September and August descending upon us like vultures. I've got a book that's about to come out, Clarabelle was writing a ton of stuff and also was, was off to Korea with our mutual friend Kat Cho. I'm so jealous of them, but... Anyways, I, I asked the Discord if folks would be interested in an episode with just me in which I answer hot burning questions and comments about Beholder, my upcoming book that comes out in, oh, I want to say like six, oh, a week from right now, but I don't know when you're going to be listening to this. So the release date is October 3rd, probably by the time you hear this in like the Bad Author Book Club Museum experience model and extravaganza that like I'm designing in my head that's going to be erected. I don't know, wherever the current model land is, um, 400 years from now. Anyways, by the time you listen to this, <laughs> Beholder is already out. So um, 
so yeah, if you want some more behind the scenes about the book, uh, this is the episode for you. And don't worry, I'm not going to be spoiling anything, but I am going to be sort of peeking behind the curtain, going in depth about how certain aspects of the book were were created by myself. So if you ever wondered like, oh, we've got these co-hosts that talk smack about these like awful books, but like how do their brains work? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some details about that. First, however, I thought it would be handy to give like a quick pitch for anyone who has no idea what Beholder is about or like what to anticipate. So if for whatever reason you've managed to avoid all details about this book despite listening to the podcast, here's my quick pitch of Beholder and uh, absolutely I'm going to be adding some like fancy epic music. One second. Click, click, click. Okay. Oh, here we go. Beholder is the story of Ethan Vakirtzis. That's short for Athanasios. He's Greek. And Ethan is at a party in New York City that he really shouldn't be at. He doesn't know anyone there. The people that brought him there have since abandoned him. And he has this feeling that something horrific is about to happen. So he goes to leave. But before he can leave, a kid shoves him in the bathroom and says, Do not open this door and you will survive. So Ethan listens because the next thing that happens is all of these screams erupt from inside the party. And by the time Ethan finally escapes this bathroom hours later, there has been a killing. Everyone at the party is dead, and worse, their corpses have been arranged into this sort of grotesque but beautiful sculpture, the mark of, like, the killer. Now, Ethan is the only one to have survived this, but that makes him the primary suspect. To absolve himself and stop the same horrific fate of befalling innocent people, Ethan must resort to using a family power that's really more of a curse. Ever since he was young, his yaya, his grandmother, forbid him from looking in mirrors, saying that, Ethan, you must never use our power, because something in the mirrors will see you, and once you see it, it cannot be unseen. This power allows Ethan to rewind reflections, looking at all the reflections have seen, but it comes at a tremendous cost. Ethan has no choice. He uses the power, but as he does, something in the mirrors begins to wake up. There's death! There's murder! There's murderous interior designs and sort of traps that feel like Final Destination. But it's like Martha Stewart designed the traps and, ooh, it's gay. Oh my god, the book's so gay. Ethan is pansexual and he's got like a little like, like love interest, romance situation that happens, but like not too much because that would be kind of questionable given the fact that like they're like running for their lives but you know you get the point like the the book has a lot in it it is batch of cuckoo bananas and it's very high concept very uh very i you know according to the reviews very ryan lasala and at this point i'm just sort of rambling while this epic music is like flinging itself at the raptors above us so i'm gonna i'm gonna pause that i'm gonna get to answering all of your questions okay click 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 (gasps) What a ride! So, if anyone's curious, the backstory of this book is that I lived by myself during COVID-19, like, the lockdown in the United States, and it was my first time living by myself, and so it was a little bit of, like, a mindfuck, right? Like, being totally solitary in my own, like, solo apartment, like, while I couldn't go outside, and I felt this, like, claustrophobia that was more than just like the space around me it was sort of this like psychic claustrophobia and I felt like I started to become really well acquainted with like sort of the dark reflection of like a person's interior right like inner demons and I started thinking about how so many people during lockdown were starting art projects right like you know redesigning these rooms moving furniture around trying to make their spaces more them and I started wondering like well what if someone sort of 
followed inspiration too far down, right? Like, in an effort to make the space more them, they took something out of themselves, such as, like, an inner demon, and put it on the walls, and then it killed everybody. And that's sort of where Beholder began, but I would say if I had to trace it even further back, I remember reading The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman in high school, and absolutely loving watching this uh the the narrator the it's like a woman writing journal entries but i loved watching just her cycle like her psychological state basically deteriorate because of the ugliness of this wallpaper she's forced to basically contemplate while on bed rest forced bed rest and of course it's not because the wallpaper's ugly that she goes insane. It's because she's focusing on that despite everything else around her sort of falling to pieces. And there's a lot to be said about that piece. There's a reason that people read it in school. Uh, and, but I loved it. I thought it was so cool. And there's an actual historical precedent for wallpapers hurting people because back in the, the day of Charlotte Perkins Gilman, wallpapers were... Um, they were designed with colors that were stabilized with arsenic. And so people would slowly become poisoned in these like beautiful rooms and it would lead to not necessarily like madness, but other ailments. And for a really long time, no one knew why. Uh, and there was never actually, I, I think now there's been a law, but like even when this was happening and when they figured out it was arsenic, it stayed in fashion, like, for a little while longer. Um, people knew that it was bad for you. They did it anyways. And then slowly, tastes moved away from these colors. And that's eventually what kind of turned the corner on these poisonous wallpapers. Um, but yeah, anyways, let's get to some questions. These are not in any particular order. It's just as they were submitted. So question number one. Between twins and mirrors, there are a lot of doubles in your novels. I love it. And I would like to know why this theme is so prevalent in your horror stories. Ooh, okay. So, I mean, the there's sort of a practical answer for the honeys, right? Because the, the relationship between Caroline and Mars, the, the twins at the heart of the story, is really central because they were so in sync for so long. And then this division sort of put them on opposing sides of this problem that Mars is then left to kind of resolve by themselves. Um, that dynamic looks really different if there's like an age gap to consider and i also wanted the similarities between mars to sort of be very bold because ultimately like the honey's story about a gender fluid kid kind of infiltrating this like hyper feminine space and um all mars's life they've sort of been made to feel that they are this monstrosity that doesn't belong in such a place as cabin h with the honey's the honeys have no problem with this. The hive has no problem with this. And so that's kind of what sets up like the peril, right? Because Mars arrives at camp and expects the honeys to be standoffish, as is the reader. And this is, I, I'm not spoiling anything. Um, but like, instead of there being this like animosity from the girls, they're friendly, right? They're inviting. And I love the idea that they sort of see whatever they saw in Caroline, they see that same thing in Mars. Um, there's like a, there's a, there's a, if I ever write a continuation to the honeys and get to dig into like sort of the other powers at play, there's a few other reasons, but for the sake of keeping this spoiler free, I'm not going to get into that. But now on to Beholder. So this is actually a really great question because you probably haven't read the book yet, but you know the right thing to ask. Um, 
because yeah the story is about mirrors but in addition to sort of the the theme of like mirrors and reflections there's also two points of view in the book there's Ethan's point of view which is narrated in first person you know I, I walk into the bathroom and I close the door behind me but every other chapter is actually an interstitial written in second person uh, the book actually starts in second person and it's this sort of like bodiless voice that's talking to Ethan. Um, that night at the penthouse party, you're talking to this girl about her future. Well, that's the summary of the first line. But, uh, but I really love the idea that, like, from the second, like that 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 point of view, the the narrator that's speaking in second person, like they're sort of playing the role of like Ethan's inner demon, right? Like there's sort of this this thing that's talking to him and trying to kind of compel him uh, by saying kind of all the dark intrusive thoughts that. Ethan himself is sort of pressing down and we learn a lot about Ethan through this this bodiless narrator that eventually and this is again not a spoiler but like sort of seems to be watching him through mirrors um, it's really no mystery like kind of what this ends up being I I don't think that it's like it's not meant to sort of be like a plot twist uh, but I think it's kind of fun to sort of discover just like how persuasive this thing is or sort of what the extent of its powers are uh, through actually reading the book. But in a book about mirrors, I thought it would be so interesting to kind of give a voice to reflection. But the thing is, our reflections are always viewing us, right? Like the second we sort of turn away from a mirror, they keep watching us for as long as we're we're in there, you know, the as long as they can see us, right? Uh, but, you know, then we move on, we move away, but... What if they kept watching us? What if something sort of traveled along reflective surfaces and kind of kept pace with our daily lives? What would that thing sound like? And as to why themes like this, doubles, are prevalent in my work, I guess I've always been intrigued by there being symmetry as a phenomenon, but there being a warp in it. Like, Caroline and Mars could have had really similar lives, but a few ultimately very minor differences sort of set them on very different paths. And then as for Beholder, I actually think it's a different reason. I think the significance here is that whenever something reflects us adequately, whenever something sort of sees us to perfection, it kind of has a bit of control over us, right? Like it kind of suddenly has this knowledge, this uncanny ability to kind of see us completely. Uh, and there's an active possession that I feel like takes place um, in reflection, right? And not just a mirror as reflective. I think of art as reflective. Like, I've looked at certain art pieces and felt like I was looking through this, like, dark looking glass, like, kind of into my own mind. And there's been moments when sort of peering through art or, or literature or books or whatever, um, peering through these dark reflective surfaces, that I've seen something in myself articulated with a bit too much detail and it's made me sort of step back and that's kind of the the monster at the heart of not well not like the literal monster but that's kind of the monstrosity um that I wanted to kind of embed within a book like Beholder Ooh, that was a that was a good question uh let me <laughs> let me try to be briefer all right next question what makes Ethan unique among your protagonists and what commonality do they all share they're all queer. Uh, they're all assigned male at birth. Mars sometimes goes by boy and identifies as boy. So I would actually even say that they're all sort of like 
in like the like the boy umbrella but mars is gender fluid and, and sort of drifts away from the the boy label even within the context of the honeys so uh their queerness is definitely their commonality but i will say of sort of all of the main characters that i've written Ethan is the most different because let's see okay so for reverie we have kane for bedazzled we have raffi and then for the honeys we have mars and all three of those sort of share this like kind of prickly demeanor in which like they're they're like really ambitious like they know what they want uh and they're gonna get it and they've kind of they're gonna do so with like this ability to kind of cut through nonsense and keep like humor about them and when i was designing beholder in my head i really wanted to write a main character who was ruled by aesthetics and appearances and sort of keeping up appearances for other people and using charisma as a form of deflection and that's a really insecure person and so Ethan is this like affable sort of like himbo like character which is kind of more in line with like luca from bedazzled or like even wyatt from like the honeys but i wanted to reverse it. i wanted to write that character as a main boy and i want i wanted to kind of give like that character their own story and so it wasn't just a matter of being like oh i want to write like a himbo it was more a matter of like well how would a himbo operate in a horror novel? Why is this person so dependent upon kind of the the himbo affectation? Like, is that a defense mechanism and why? And so that's how that's how I reached Ethan's character. Ooh, okay. So this next question has a spoiler in it. I'm going to augment the question. This is from I Only Drink Hot Water. Um, Ethan was orphaned by a fire. There's a fire in the honeys. Is there a connection? I think about this a lot. I, fire is something that scares me. Um, the idea that a single spark could burn down an entire building, that there's such a thing as energy that just kind of consumes everything in its path, is terrifying to me. And I love the idea that like fire is sort of like the ultimate like representation of consequence. The smallest little spark can result in a blaze. And so... In one sense, I think there's a there's a probably a symbol embedded in there for just like causality, but also from like a writing point of view, from just like a like a convenience sake, fires are a very real threat, especially in like urban settings. And uh, there, the reason that I included this in uh, in Beholder is because oftentimes there are these fires that will just they'll 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 go up in these like really cramped conditions and something that you'll see on the news is like oh it's a tragedy and inevitably some police officer or like fire lieutenant they end up blaming the people right like in these poor living conditions by saying like oh well that you know when they were escaping they didn't close the door behind them and keep the fire contained okay well that's not really fair these people are running for their fucking lives well how did the fire start oh you know space heaters but the fact of the matter is space heaters don't start like fires that often um most fires are caused by like cooking or like usually like something else in the building like goes wrong like maybe there's like an electrical outlet but like it's these small sort of very spontaneous accidents um that that cause these things to happen and sometimes there's not even a clear cause but people tend to get blamed anyways for sort of living in buildings that they have no choice about living in and so uh Ethan's particular fire is kind of a like, the ease by which people accept the the fire excuse, which Ethan has always been a little bit suspicious of. Like, there definitely was a fire, but how it started is something that Ethan ponders often. The ease by which people sort of accept that, like, oh, well, 
it was it was caused by these people that already live there uh and in a sense what they're saying is so they deserve it right um that's kind of what i wanted to get at with including that detail we've got another question from i only drink hot water and this is you are known for doing a lot of research for your novels what research did you do for beholder oh i love talking about research and i honestly could do a whole episode on just this but just like the honeys i did quite a bit of sort of like in-person investigation with beholder because it takes place in new york city that's where i live so i have the great ability to kind of step outside of my writing and go and explore the actual places that I'm writing about. There's this building in New York called the D&D Center, Design and Decor, I think, or something like that. And it's this massive, like, eight or nine story building downtown. Um, it's like midtown, I don't know, like it's on the east side. And inside of it, there are basically all of these really fancy showrooms for like wallpapers and carpets and like upholstery and antiques and all of this stuff. And when I first learned about this, because I was trying to figure out where I could put a, a showroom for one of the businesses in the book, this came up and I thought, oh, well, why don't I just go? It seems like a really great place. So I did. I I originally went because I was trying to make an appointment with this uh, wallpaper manufacturer called, oh, I have their pencils right here, um, Clarence House. And the pencil is about the only thing that I walked away from that meeting with. They didn't want to, like, they didn't <laughs> agree to set up a meeting with me or anything like that. So I basically found where their studio was and walked in thinking, like, I'm just going to talk to people. But then when I walked in, like, I thought that there was, I thought, you know, a showroom. I thought there was going to be, like, tons of people. It was, like, dead quiet. I was the only person there. And I just had free reign of the space. I just, like, walked around and showed myself the space. And there were even, like, back rooms that I just, like, poked in and occasionally there'd be somebody in the back room and they'd be like oh hi how you doing <laughs> chat with them and the whole building was like this i explored like every nook and cranny of this building talked to a bunch of people like just like casually and i couldn't figure out why like no one seemed to be alarmed at like me just kind of scuttling about and it was only after i, I had gone on like a subsequent trip multiple trips at this point that I learned that basically the building is meant to be industry only. Like you're not, you can't just like go in and shop. Like it's for people who work in the design industry who like occasionally like set up appointments. And the idea of just like browsing is not really a thing. It's more that people will go for like specific things. So the idea of just like me walking around, like people figured that I was there for something and that I, maybe I was just like killing time, which is so funny to me because I was trespassing the entire time without knowing it and I'll, I'll that's all I'll say because <laughs> for legal reasons none of this happened but um but a, a lot of the stuff in Beholder was derived that way um another thing that I did is I posed as like a like a wealthy home buyer and asked realtors to show me like really expensive listings like like multi-million dollar uh, apartments and penthouses just to see sort of how those interactions went and again it was just incredibly easy and i should note here that like i have sort of the benefit of being like a like a you know like put together like well-dressed i i'm i'm white right like I'm, I'm sort of wearing a lot of different forms of privilege as a costume but that was also the research that i'm doing here is that like how easy is it to kind of fake your way into these spaces uh and how do you go about doing so in a way that's not ostentatious but is like unnoticeable 
because this is something that I wanted the boys in Beholder to do. I wanted to see if, like, two kids could sort of figure this out. At the same time, I remember, like, the um, the Anna Delvey show was happening. And I remember thinking, like, oh, people are going to watch the show and they're going to think this is so unrealistic that this, like, girl could have, like, faked her way into, like, the art world. But from my perspective, as someone who, like, lives in New York and sort of intersects this world, like, everyone there is faking it to some degree. And... The idea of an Anna Delvey is completely possible. I mean, she's a real person, uh, but there are many people that are just like that, that are doing the exact same sort of charade. Uh, and I'm fascinated by this entire world populated by people who are masquerading as something else. I love it. So the next question I sort of already answered, but it's what is your motivation or inspiration for writing this story? I wanted to look at like pathologies intersection with environments and typically when someone's looking at like that intersection they're looking at like you know ways that our space is sort of sick in us and kind of the, the obvious like path there is like oh like mildew asbestos things like that the arsenic in the wallpaper is a really good example though of how beautiful things can sort of hurt us as well and you know the hurt sort of hides within the beauty so i wanted to write about um, spaces like that, because that kind of terrifies me, right? This is the theme in the honeys as well, that like something beautiful could, could hurt you or something could hide in the luminous, in the light, uh, and still be as lethal as the things that we sort of put into the darkness as our greatest fears. I also used, um, my own fear around like doom and suicide and intrusive thoughts, because I don't talk about this like a ton, but like, I struggle with OCD, and the form of OCD that I have is not, like, I'm super tidy. It has more to do with, like, thinking that if I do something wrong, or if I have, like, the wrong kind of thought, and then some something bad in the world happens, like, I caused it, right? And this is, like, Clarabelle and I talk about all the t- this all the time, like, not on the podcast, obviously, because Clarabelle knows sort of intimately, like, all the, the various, like, weird shit that goes around in my head but um but i struggled with this for a long time especially when my my sister died like after that happened um because she died on my birthday i don't know if everyone knew that um which and this is something that happens in beholder as well like ethan's birthday is the day that kind of everything went wrong for his family um and so he associates like the celebration of himself with like all of these bad things but i added that in because that's that's something that I had to kind of work my way out of, and a lot of those thought patterns are self-affirming. A lot of those thoughts and feelings sort of become bolder and turn into a pattern the more you look at them, much like I wanted to kind of create the the wallpapers in Beholder with these patterns that to anybody viewing them would just look like, you know, some like dingy wallpaper. But to the one person who's looking at this and is recognizing sort of a sequence or a design of this pattern, like suddenly it triggers something. And so that's where those two things sort of overlapped for me. Anyways, that's kind of a <laughs> heavy topic. If you can tell, I haven't really thought about like how to talk about many of these things yet. I haven't talked much about this book because honestly, I've been talking about the honeys for like a year now. And so like, <laughs> I haven't really worked out my answers for Beholder. I always learn about a book after I've put it, put it out and then I get interviewed about it. And as I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Uh, but Let's see. Okay, we've got a lighter we've got a lighter question here. So, this person asks, "What would your characters think about the Bad Author Book Club?" I assume they're all avid listeners. <laughs> I, I you know, that's a good question. I the idea of 
my, you know, bodiless voice beaming into any of these worlds is so incongruous with, like, the crazy shit that's happening to these poor characters. I definitely think that Raffi and Luca and, like, the the whole, like, Bedazzled crew, like, that is, that is a world in which the Bad Author Book Club can exist. Um, but, like, Kane, Kane, actually, in Reverie, like, I bet he would like... He would like the Bad Author Book Club because it delves into, like, stories, which he's obsessed with. But as for, for Mars, I mean, Mars would have no idea about this podcast. But I think we, I think he would I think he would appreciate, uh, you know, at a distance, like, the humor within it. But Mars is, like, Mars is busy. Mars is going to go on and do other stuff. Ethan would only listen to this if it was what everyone else was listening to. And it sort of gave him something to talk about as a form of deflection. I don't know that Ethan cares about books at all. Okay, next up. Ooh, oh, two questions about Ethan's power, which is fun. I I love Ethan's power. I think it's like one of the most creative things I've ever thought of. So I'm happy to answer these questions. All right. First question. When Ethan looks in a mirror, he can rewind the image to see the past. Is the mirror an objective lens or does whoever looks into it tinge the image with their subjectivity? In short, does the past reveal what happened or tell us more about who created that reflection? Oh my god. Okay, so this is a brilliant question. Uh, and what I will say is, I'll sort of give you Ethan's understanding of it. Ethan knows that if he looks into mirrors, they will show him the past. However, the mirrors, their whole goal is to kind of get Ethan to look, to sort of keep him captivated so that he looks at them long enough for something to kind of make contact. Uh, and to that end, Unlike, like, many scrying powers that you've probably seen, like, Ethan doesn't really have to work for it. Like, it's actually hard to avoid this power. Um, and he goes through great precautions to make sure that he doesn't trigger it. Um, the way that it triggered is, by the, by the way, the, the way that it's triggered is if he looks into his own eyes in a reflection, it sort of, like, rebounds back. And that's what causes, basically, his reflection to retreat, taking time with it. And so, um, when Ethan does this, though, he can sort of ask the mirror he can focus the mirrors towards specific things so if he's looking for a specific person that might be in this reflection he just kind of has to set that intention and the mirror is going to show him that because again like it wants him to look however while that's an objective moment the actual ease by which that happens in the sort of the dialogue between Ethan and the mirror and Ethan's intentions and what the mirror is willing to show that sets up subjectivity you couldn't possibly just view everything in a reverse linear fashion. Uh, you have to sort of pick and choose if you've only got a limited amount of time using this power. And so there is subjectivity introduced simply by the way that the mirrors sort of curate Ethan's experience. They can also sort of pick and choose what they want to show him. Um, and so there's a few occasions when Ethan's like, no, I, I need to stay on this image. I want to look at this. Um, to really get some details. And the mirrors don't like that. They don't really like to be confined. They kind of want to roll the footage. The other thing that I'll say is that the the realm behind the glass, the realm of reflection, which is ultimately made of light, right? Because light makes up what we can see. Um, there are things that exist within that that are not bound to time and space. That sort of get to travel outside of our really linear idea of time. Uh, which brings me to the next question. This is a great, brilliant question. Was Ethan's mirror power meant to be similar to the lace? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So nowhere does it say that these two books, The Honeys and The Beholder, take place in the same realm. And 
for legal reasons, they don't. But I always wanted these books to sort of have a companionship to one another and for the, the magic and the sort of supernatural elements within them to kind of share the same bones. And so, yeah, I definitely think that there are similarities um, that people are going to notice about how Mars uh, interacts with the lace and how Aethon interacts with the light. Okay, there's... <laughs> We're going to get to a, I'm going to end this on a fun question, but we've got two other, <laughs> these are like, these are like SAT AP English level questions, um, all of them. And so, all right, we'll, we'll end on a fun note, but we have two other honestly really good questions that I'm like, I'm like, I'm just stalling. I'm thinking about my answers as I'm talking, but all right, here we go. One of them goes, uh, if the honeys was an exploration of the relationship between grief and self-discovery. What are the things you think Beholder explores, besides spiders and vibes, of course? That's a really interesting take, and I, I don't disagree that The Honeys is uh, an exploration of the relationship between grief and self-discovery. I guess I would add that it's an exploration of grief and self-discovery as a dimension of belonging to something or sort of reconnecting um, with a community or like the love in your life. And that's something that I actually say in the acknowledgement. Oh my god, acknowledgements. To, we're not, we're not going to pause. We're, we're just going to keep going. The acknowledgements of the honeys, where I thought that book was about grief for a really long time, but it was when I was sitting down to thank all the people that had been instrumental in me writing that book that I realized really what this book was about and for, um, for me and and for Mars, uh, was finding your way sort of out of the wilds of grief back to the love that has always been there from the people still in your life and the love that's been left behind by the people that are no longer there. And so um, Mars does this through self-discovery, but it was important for me to write Mars as always having a really unshakable idea of who they are. And so I think that they definitely discover things about themselves, but I think more so what they manage to do in the honeys through their grief journey is reveal themselves to everyone else and to nurture a vulnerability and a sensitivity that honestly had been beaten out of them by their own life. And that's ultimately what allows Mars to sort of understand the honeys and, and what they do. It's through gaining back this sensitivity that they had kind of cauterized as a form of of self-defense but oh that's a great question though um let me get to the end of it though what are the things you think beholder explores besides spiders vibes oh so beholder for me is all about being seen and the humiliation of that act of of showing up and showing up as yourself and letting someone finally see you and sort of giving yourself away in the form of you know another's perception um it's about that at the at the start but it's also i will say that i'm not done talking about grief the honeys is definitely about new grief and someone grappling with kind of coming to terms with a loss but Athan's whole life in beholder has sort of been remastered by this really pivotal loss uh that has messed him up in some really specific ways that have had long-term impacts on his ability to kind of exist in the world and as a result he's totally drawn back to the past and sort of looking at it in reverse hence the mirror power to sort of look backwards only right he can 
only ever really explore the past, but knows he's not supposed to, right? Because he's been forbidden. He, he's been told by his yaya not to look into these mirrors and to, to avoid sort of, you know, gazing at all that has happened before. But the result is, is because he can't really confront what happened and because he doesn't really have closure around it. And even the closure that he sort of has at the beginning of the book <laughs> falls apart pretty quickly as he learns some secrets. Um, the, the result is that he can't really look forward. He can't really look ahead, uh, which, you know, is his particular journey when it comes to grief. And I will say that there is definitely self-discovery baked into that. Um, self-discovery is a factor of one's own personal history, like where they come from, uh, who they come from, what they're made of, who they're made of. But ultimately, like, while Beholder is definitely a serious book and deals with, like, really heavy topics, like, it's also a really, like, sensationalized book. It was me taking my fears about, like, sort of these sourceless animosities in the world, taking revenge upon me for, you know, doing something wrong for... For, for not um, blinking eight times or clapping eight times. I always do things in eights. <laughs> Anyone who's read Reverie maybe has picked up on this, but like, you know, for a long time, if I didn't do everything eight times, like I thought that like there was going to be like calamity. And Ethan doesn't have this particular neurosis, <laughs> but this the idea that there's an evil eye out there that is seeking to basically punish you. Like if, if the evil eye sees you, like it's going to like ruin everything. Uh, that, like, real superstition that is shared in many cultures, like, for me, for a long time, sort of was a very real thing. Like, it wasn't just superstition, it was rules. And if I followed the rules, then I could avoid these things, and if something horrible happened to me, it's because I broke a rule that I didn't even know about, which meant I had to, you know, I had to make up that rule, right? And so um, these types of patterns that can really confine an individual, that sort of trap them in these rooms of their own making and create this sort of psychic claustrophobia, uh, were the basis by which I wanted to kind of design um, many of the the moments of danger in the book uh, and in how we sort of connected on on wallpaper as like a, a conduit for these things. Because um, wallpaper is made out of patterns that are meant to be bold or invisible, but they're always meant to be complementary. They're always part of the space that, that you're in, but ultimately... What you're stepping into when you're stepping into a room that is wallpapered is a room with art that is inescapable. And I love that. It's all surrounding. Much like a lot of these thoughts were <laughs> for a long time. I'm doing much better, by the way. I feel like everyone's going to like send a safety check about me. Uh, and this is the point when Clarabelle would be like, girl, <laughs> are you all right? Do we have to take this offline? I'm good. I'm good. Okay, second to last question. I've loved the way each of your books is so distinctly different, yet all of them center a queer character whose queerness is both a pinnacle to the way they navigate the world and yet not their soul-defining trait. Oh, thank you. But, okay, on to the question. Uh, how can we look forward to queerness being incorporated into Beholder? And is there any aspect of the queer experience that you hope to incorporate into a Y novel in the future? P.S. Forever a Rafi and Luca stan. Oh, I love this. So, Beholder is a really queer novel for, I mean, you know, the fact that there's like murderous interior design. It's kind of cosmetically very queer. But I will say that not a ton of it has to do with an exploration of queerness. I will say that there's definitely like moments that have a lot to do with a character's queerness, but the actual plot 
and the actual like peril doesn't really have much to do with our characters and you know who they love um how they define themselves things like that too uh and uh, you could actually you could People have said that about the honeys as well, too, but I would actually majorly disagree. I think queerness, Mars's queerness plays a really, like, pivotal role in, like, the horror of that novel. But it's not the horror that people think. Like, I think a lot of people think that it's all going to be about, like, you know, bullying, persecution, and that definitely plays into it. But, like, you'll notice Mars spends the entirety of the honeys just, like, <laughs> dunking on these idiots trying to harass them. So, anyways, it's in that book. Um, But, yeah, Beholder, I think, has less of this it's not as pedagogic when it comes to discussing how queer people navigate the world um but it does feature almost a, like i think all of the the major uh boys in it are all gay or queer uh ethan is pan uh and you know there's romance it's despite it being a horror novel like there's a there's a relationship in the book which was important to me um so i would say that the queerness then is kind of the ability for our love to often exist in unlikely circumstances when, you know, everything is going wrong, but we know how to stick together and we know how to intermingle, like, levity and seriousness, oftentimes, like, beat to beat in the same moment. So I think the queerness is sort of baked in at that level. It's in the fibers of the story, but not necessarily the plot. But also, I feel like I'm forgetting something really... Oh my god, well... <laughs> This is, this is a stretch, but I will say, like, the spider that's on the cover spends, I mean, has a pretty pivotal role in the book and is quite sassy, so I would actually say the spider is queer as well. Now, the second part of your question is great because I have I have given zero details about what I'm working on now. Um... And I don't want to share too much right now, but I will say that whereas Beholder was sort of more this like supernatural romp, like the thing that I'm working on now is very much about what it means to be queer and specifically what it means to be part of a community. It's also about the inescapability of the queer community. And don't worry, like the queer people in the book, they are not the <laughs> they're not the enemies, um, but there there is a main character at the heart of the story who um unlike a lot of the main characters that i write uh has not really reached the point of acceptance when it comes to their own queerness they know they're gay but they really feel honestly quite embarrassed about it and about what it means in terms of the community that they come from and uh and ultimately that's something that you know I wanted to write about. I wanted to write that into a book because uh, that's that's a really important conversation for me. Like, if okay, if you can imagine, like Tyler from the Honeys. If anyone remembers Tyler, um, I think his name's Tyler. I forget. He's the he's the other like gay kid at the camp that's like kind of nasty to Mars and is like, if you weren't so like in everyone's face, like maybe you wouldn't get like beat up and attacked. And Mars is like, oh we're not the same type like you're gay i'm queer right like that's a that's a conversation that like they have that i really wanted on the page but i feel bad for for kids like tyler that have basically learned to over assimilate and sort of overcorrect and um still be out of the closet still being highly visible like how do they then negotiate like a world that they basically told them like 
you know, be as little as possible and we'll, we'll, we'll let you slide. We'll tolerate you. Um, you know, what's that kid gonna, like, what's that kid's journey? And so Tyler, I included in the honeys cause I wanted to include a foil to, to Mars, but I always felt, I don't want to say like bad, but I always felt that, um, I wanted to take a character like Tyler and give them their own story and show someone working their way out of that. So, um, the next thing that I'm writing definitely digs into this and, oh, I'm so excited. I will, I will have more details about this. Um, but honestly, it's, it's going to be a long time between now and when I'm finally able to share stuff. I'm going to try to write this book without, um talking too much about oh i mean i'm probably gonna record like the whole thing on tiktok i don't know i don't know don't hold me to any of this all right all right and lastly okay this comment is from aline and <laughs> i haven't read i haven't read the whole thing yet but there's one part of it that already made me laugh <laughs> it goes beholder is the first complete novel you've written since having started model land <laughs> do you do you feel like Model Land in any way shaped or formed in, uh, or influenced you during the writing? Are there any things you kept away from or lessons you took from it on a craft level? Oh, and petition to make Mother Horse a character in the LaSalle Extended Universe. P.S. Nobody will ever be able to convince me that Model Land isn't on an island. You know what, Aline, you win. You can put you can put Model Land on an island. That's fine. I the 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 amount of cartography we have had to do in Discord to kind of figure out the, the general layouts of Model Land and like Indra is maddening to me. But anyways, to answer your question, huh? I, I mean, Modeland was such like an exceptional experience, and I mean like like exceptional, and like it took me fully, it accepted me out of my actual life into like Tyra's life, and the joy of reading that book and recording the podcast, and now I'm watching like America's Next Top Model with my boyfriend. We watch like the the old seasons, like that has definitely been like like a a brightness in my life, and. So I, I like I it would be inaccurate to say that there has been like no effect on my writing, right? Because I write really dark stuff, and so uh, to have sort of these counterbalances is, you know, that I'm also creating, right? Like other projects that I'm working on that are bringing me joy that has is like so flippant and silly, so important. But I'm trying to think of like a craft level answer for you, and I mean. Beholder does not have anything in common with Model Land, but now that I'm saying this, I know someone is gonna tell me otherwise, and I'm gonna I'm gonna like put it back in your court, Aline, and the into the Bad Author Book Club Discord and community. If you if you're sensing an overlap, I want to know about it because it's possible that it's just a subconscious thing at this point. But yeah, I don't know. What I will say though, I love the idea of including Mother Horse in something down the line. I don't know what, and I don't know how, but I love, I, the mother horse joke has really endured, and even today I was wearing my, like, mother horse shirt, the other day I was wearing it as well, and my boyfriend Andrew was like, what is this shirt? And I, like, explained, as I explained the whole thing to him, I could hear, like, it was getting worse, (laughs) 
in my head, like alone, the shirt is fine. But once you explain it, it's like, it's like the one thing in my life that like becomes more confusing the more I talk about it, which, you know, is very rebel city of Indra, to be honest. So I think we could find a spot for Mother Horse in something, but it might not be where you think. And she might not look like a horse wearing a VR headset, but, but we'll know. <laughs> Anyone in the Bad Author Book Club will will understand what we're getting at but wow <laughs> what a question and that's it that wow y'all thank you for these questions this was honestly this was a revelation for me i have never really talked about beholder like this before so it's been i mean these were very good questions and i thank you all for sending them if I didn't get to your question, the only reason is because I couldn't find a way to answer it without spoiling something. So please excuse me. Please forgive me. But if it's still nagging you after the book's been out for a little bit, um, we can definitely chat about it in Discord. As you guys know, I am happy to, to answer things um, candidly in Discord with a little like spoiler tag too. So anyways... This has been a solo episode of Bad Author Book Club. I am your co-host, Ryan LaSala, sitting here, hanging out with my cat, with six days to go until Beholder comes out my next book, and I am just so excited. You're probably thinking, I'm going to say, I'm so excited for the book come out. I am excited about the book. I'm so excited for Clarabelle to come home. So... That I can have my bestie back in my time zone and so that we can pick right up where we left off with our bad author book club read, Rebels City of Indra, the story of Lex and Livia, I think, <laughs> by Kendall and Kylie Jenner. So with all that said, uh, thank you for, for sticking around this long of just listening to me talk to you. Uh, if you want to follow me, all my socials are in the show notes and I cannot stress enough how much importance is on like pre-orders when it comes to especially a book like Beholder. So if you're if you're interested in the book, if you know that you're going to get it eventually, please get it now <laughs> if you don't mind. Um this uh this is uh this is weird. This is awkward. I typically don't make as um bold a plea, but yeah, whatever. We're friends, we're family, you know, it's the Bad Author Book Club. And I'm being bad. That's what I do. Okay. All right. I don't know how to end this. Rose of a thorn. No, we're not. It's over. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> I love you all. See you next week. Next time. I'll see you soon, Hot Queens. Biggest kisses. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.